up everybody my name is james d fiore and this is blackball the dark arts of political fixing most canadians have no idea what goes on behind the scenes during political political campaigns or during the fights before during and after elections or even the infighting that happens uh inside parties when two different two or more different groups are vying for whoever they want as their next leader my guest tonight is no stranger to these political dark arts he is the whistleblower and the person who's largely responsible for the release and dissemination of the klondike papers and his name is david wallace david how are you how are you buddy i can't complain yourself no i'm good i'm good um Okay, viewers of the show obviously know who you are. Um, they, they, viewers of the show know about the Klondike Papers. Before we get into any of the present day stuff or the things that have happened in the last six months or year or so that have impacted your life in such a drastic way, I wanted to see if we could go to your roots to start off the show like that. So I would like to know where you grew up and at what age did you find yourself in a sort of situation where you felt like, okay, this is a little shadowy work, but but, but maybe I can give it a go? <clears throat> well, that is a long story. So uh, I grew up in Barrie, Ontario. Um, arrived there in 1978 from Scarborough. Uh, young kid. It was an ideal place to grow up. It was a beautiful small community at that time, in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, experienced life in a bubble, so to speak, small town Canada. Uh, happy, like every other kid, uh, played sports, uh, baseball, hockey, boxing, things of that nature. Uh, had a great time. Um, was involved in a rather serious motor vehicle accident uh, when I was 18 years old, um, excuse me, 17, almost 18, uh, with my lifelong best friend who was killed uh, in the wreck and uh, I got a little bit uh, banged up, so to speak, and uh, set me on a different trajectory in life. I uh, uh, guess a little bit trite story, but uh, started hanging out with the uh, rougher type of people and got employment in, in bars as a uh, security bartender. Um, and from there, I kind of drifted uh, for a while until I met up with a gentleman um, who, by degrees, um, eased me into this line of work or at least a reasonable facility of this type of work. Do you remember your first job like as a fixer or 
or just your first job um, in that line of work? What, what was the first thing that you had to do? I often think of like, you know, <clears throat> like uh, Henry Hill and Goodfellas, you know, uh, making deliver like deliver like you know running numbers you know <laughs> well i i uh my first job was a uh, as a bag man i uh i was tasked with getting a certain uh, amount of currency over the border to uh, meet with a political figure in a bar in new york state and um, to drop off said money and to leave no questions asked which i did i purchased a pair of pantyhose uh, stripped down, placed them on, and put the money inside the pantyhose all throughout as much as I could stack, and uh, got into my 1989 uh, Plymouth Sundance and drove it across the border. Wow. <laughs> what year was that? 1989. Oh, a new car. Well, you were doing pretty good. Brand new car, yeah. It's, uh... Yeah, they didn't really check. The border security wasn't really tight back then. Like, you could have brought oh, over no, like not, not that, uh, and of course I was clean cut, Letterman's jacket, short hair, the whole nine yards. So, uh, you know, you have something in common with uh, a guest I had on the show last week, reality winner, who was also a whistleblower, who uh, who leaked classified information when she was an NSA translator uh, to the Intercept, and she did so by printing out the documents at the NSA's office and smuggling them out in her pantyhose. So. You know, well, tried and true methods. They uh, they worked. Uh, unfortunately, with the advent of technology, it's just not as much fun. Yeah. Okay. So you were so you were what in your early twenties or something back then? No, no, I was uh, I was an eighteen year old boy. Okay. And so uh, then, okay, then take us through then uh, take us through your twenties. I guess like was that was it consistent work? Um, or did you have a day job? Was the day job cover? Like, I, we're trying to just find the origin story. You're like, uh, you're like Wolverine, okay? And we're trying to find the origin story of Wolverine now. You have his hair. Unbreakable. So, uh, yeah. hopefully, hopefully, I don't uh, have to go through those ordeals. But uh, the origin. Uh, well, yes, uh, to answer the question, yes to both. I, I had regular jobs for periods of time, and and uh, then I would drop off the map for longer periods of time. So my twenties were where I made my bones, so to speak. And uh, a wonderful thing happened in the late 80s. The uh, Berlin Wall fell mm. and it opened up a variety of, uh, uh, of interesting employment opportunities with some friendly gentlemen who made money very quickly over in that part of the world. Is friendly sarcastic? Yes. Okay. Highly. Okay. Um, okay. So, and then you, so you spent how many years, you were, you were in Russia for a number of years, weren't you? Yeah, a number of years. I, I traveled um, um, under a few different names um, back when that was still possible. 9-11 uh, was a, a horrible, horrible, horrible time in my business. It was, they really picked up their game. Um, so it was harder to uh, get in and out uh, of the country. But the the vast majority of the, Early to mid nineties were spent in the former Soviet Union. Okay, and then <clears throat> excuse me, and then when you moved back, um, it was what two thousand three. Well, I, I was back at a variety of times through the nineties. Uh, uh, for a while, I tried to live, um, David and whoever else I had to be on parallel tracks. Um, it didn't work out too well, um, so I 
I would say to 1997, I was almost exclusively uh, spending my working time in Russia. And okay. uh, sporadically, um, I would say up until 1998, and uh, then balls to the wall for most of 99. I quit. My last uh, trip over was April of 1999. Okay. Now, um, when we fast forward to... Well, let's fast forward to actually no, before we go into today. If you were to make a rough estimate, how many David Wallaces are there in this country operating at any given time? Like how many there's there's what 300 and I can't remember the exact number. I'm sorry, even though I cover politics, it's like 383 seats or something like that. Um, you know, there's there's three main parties, really. How many fixers are working at any given time during an election? Like, is it just for the main actors, like premiers, you know, mayors, um, and and prime ministers, or or are there like MPs that are doing that are hiring fixers for their little campaigns as well? Like, how does this all work, and how many are there? Above board, there are a handful of really reputationally good fixers. Um, again. I've mentioned Warren Kinsella before. Uh, with Warren Kinsella, you get everything. You get uh, credibility. You get uh, uh, the journalistic aspect, the political favors, the weight that he can pull, the uh, the snarkiness, the art, the artistry. Um, the punk band. The man was talented, still is. Uh, um, I know we've uh, exchanged barbs here and there, but there was nobody better at what he did for a long period of time. And... Uh, I think he's probably moved on. And the reason that is, is because politics have moved on. We're now dominated by only two philosophies. You're either uh, ideological or you're identity based. And uh, therein is the rub. There's no middle ground. It's hard for a fixer who's not married to one concept to, uh, to put his heart and soul into the job, so to speak. Yeah. Um, now, how much of this is, I, I don't know how to ask this question because let's not relate it to you for a second, but are there political fixers that will do their job, but have the ethics to draw the line at law breaking. And then there's the other ones that don't like, what are we looking at here? Because I think one of the reasons why people find you so fascinating is because the, if you asked 100 Canadians what a political fixer does, maybe one or two might be able to give you some sort of answer. Neither of those answers will probably be correct, though. So this is a largely unexplored topic for many Canadians. It's something that maybe if someone put a gun to their heads, they'd be like, well, I guess there's people out there that are bagmen. But they don't really have any idea at all how to even articulate what they do because they don't really know. How much of a part of the political ecosystem are fixers? They used to be ubiquitous. Um, today, it's become highly specialized in terms of one-on-one -on -one work with a candidate. Usually, it's teams, calm teams, ideas teams. We've moved away from the um, uh, human element, the guy who might take a reporter out to a bar, the, the, the person who might uh, uh, speak with an MP's neighbor, uh, a person who will move into a community. I mean, a trick that I used to use is if I was moving into a community on a job, I would I would roll up and in the days before social media, I would use local public access and I would simply walk into a community and try to take advantage of festering res resentments. It's a tried and true tactic. 
um, set up snitch lines and usually you would get all the ammunition you would need to smear whatever candidate you're working against. I mean, red, blue, what difference does it make? Um, okay. Now, you blew the whistle on one of your own clients. Uh, and this is something we've talked about extensively on the show. This is the Richard Marsh thing where the Plymouth Brethren had hired uh, through Gerald Shapur um, and uh, Brad Mitchell and Alan Hallman. They hired you, brought you out to Alberta and wanted you to take Richard March and basically hand him over to them. And you said no. Um, and so since then, and we're just going to put a bow on it like that because we've talked about that on this podcast several times. But since then, it's been interesting to see uh, independent media covering your story, some mainstream media covering some stories, but really a lot of the um, a lot of the information that was in the Klondike papers and just a lot of information that seems to be out there, the mainstream media won't touch. And I'm still a little confused as to why that is. I think, I have a feeling it's because they feel that it's difficult to have a whistleblower as a source when that whistleblower is a political fixer. Would that, does that ring true for you? Absolutely. It's, it's the problem of, of it's, it's kind of an institutionalized madness that our culture is now engaged in reporters today. <clears throat> I won't say reporters. It's a broad generalization. I'll say that news organizations News organizations are no longer about reporting news. Reporters today, as Mark Borey brought up on Dean's show, um, are literally um, creative writers who, who don't get paid. Um, they tow the company line. Those that don't find uh, themselves uh, much like Dean or other individuals who create their own platforms and say, screw it, I'm going to do my own thing because at least then I can be true to myself ethically um, with the news that I report. My credibility is always pulled into question. I, I make no bounds or, or claims to be a saint. I'm, I'm criminal. Um, maybe not a criminal currently, but the acts that I have committed, the acts that everyone in politics at the highest levels have committed are criminal acts. We need to, to make that very clear. I can be an asshole and a bad guy and still be honest. Now, when I tell you that I'm going to uh, um, uh, engage myself in a job and I'm going to use every trick in my disposal to get that job to its conclusion, I mean, we're not playing tiddlywinks. I'll use anything it takes. I mean, my employers expect my best effort, um, which is simply um, to commit acts which are illegal. There's no way around it. You cannot be a fixer and, 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 and toe the line. If you do, you're not a fixer. You're a paid PR hack. There's a big difference. And, and that's the problem that the public, I, actually, I won't say the public, um, because the public has heard all sides and they've made their own decisions on, on what's true and what's fiction. Um, have I lied in the past to accomplish a job? Absolutely. Without that tool, the job would not be able to be accomplished. Um, I would say this, judge my actions and judge my bank balance. The easiest thing in the world to do would have been to hand over Richard Marsh. Um, the reason I didn't 
um, is because I am not a bounty hunter and I am not uh, anxious to be an accomplice to murder. I was lied to. Um, I was given uh, a job, which I accepted under false pretenses. Um, once I figured out that Mr. Marsh was not a felon, um, I could have no further part in the job. We kept him safe. And um, I thought we had an agreement with the other side that everybody would move on with their lives. That's why I moved to Calgary. But uh, it turns out that they brought me to Calgary to squeeze me. How's that working out for you guys? <laughs> One of those gentlemen uh, that brought you out there um, is the former attorney general of yes. Alberta. Yes. And uh, who recently was uh, made the news because why does his name escape me right now? Um, Jonathan Dennis, sorry, Dennis. Jonathan Dennis, um, who's uh, who was recently back in the news uh, for being secretly recorded for being a racist piece of shit, <laughs> which is interesting because he was the justice minister at one point as well, right? Absolutely, and it's a prime example of my philosophy. You see, these videos and leaked texts and everything that's coming out—they're nothing to do with me. I'm simply emboldening a community, mm -hmm. people who have been bullied people who have been harassed, people who have been marginalized, and allowing them to realize that they have the power, especially in today's uh, um, world of social media. You have the tools at your disposal. Finish this man. Get him out of your community. He's bad news. Okay. So now you are no longer a political fixer. You're, you're out in the open. You lifted the curtain on your own game, I guess you would say. And we are looking at a time in Canadian political history where uh, the, the leader of the Conservative Party was actively wooing um, basically the conspiracy theorists of our nation to amalgamate and rally around him as a leader. And then we have Doug Ford, who, and I just found this out recently, that a lot of the people who were his donors when he won the leadership were Plymouth Brethren people who worked at Plymouth Brethren companies. I didn't know that before. Everyone was talking about um, the other candidate uh, uh, who ran in that race, the female. I can't remember her name either. Sorry, guys. Uh, it's late for me, and I've had a two, like five podcasts this week already. So, um, But she was the, sort of like the, the, the one that, uh, that crowned the king, I guess. And she rallied the religious right around Doug Ford, and that's how he basically won on the last ballot that, that, where, where he was declared the winner. Now, with the Emergency Act hearings happening right now, we talked a little bit earlier. I want to get your take. On, on what you think, and this is going to be a major focus, these kinds of uh, speculations, I guess you would say, where you have a new podcast coming up. It's going to be on the Dean Blundell Network. It's called The Fix. Um, this we're, we, we're not sure the exact date where we're going to launch yet, but it's going to be an amazing show because it's going to be all about, not all about just your stories as a fixer, but what you think of present day political situations, what the climate looks like, why you think that certain parties are doing certain things and what you think might be going on behind the scenes Absolutely. in these little political situations. Give us your take on the Doug Ford Emergency Act thing, because I thought that was really interesting today when we spoke. Doug Ford has stumbled upon a formula which works quite well with the modern voter. Uh, do nothing. Don't speak. 
run away, hide, don't be controversial. Depend on your base, which is won through slogans. Yeah. It's a brilliant strategy and one that more politicians should follow, simply because the public is tired and so disinterested that saying nothing is a winning strategy. This is and the problem with Pierre. He's going to fail because he said far too much. Yeah, we talked about that today because, um, you know, up until very recently, I was of the mind uh, that Pierre Polyev would court the far right as every conservative leader did when they were running for leadership. But every other leader then would pivot to the center and and either win or lose the election on trying to appear like they represent more Canadians than just the fringe on the right. Now I'm starting to wonder if I was uh, if I was quick on the draw with that one because after speaking with you and listening to what you had to say about what Doug Ford, uh, what it looks like Doug Ford might be doing as a strategy, I started to rethink that position because you said to me that it looks like Doug Ford's long-term vision is to find a way to become the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada and eventually Prime Minister. Why do you think that? And what method do you believe he might be using to get there? Well, the tools are, are there and, and have already been put into place. Doug Ford will present himself as a more moderate, um, conservative voice in the wilderness. And he will get mom and dad's vote. He will get grandpa's vote because the dichotomy he will present between himself and Pierre Pulliver and Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh will be middle of the road. It's a winning strategy. You see, you, you need to look at the Conservative Party of Canada as a, um, uh, a criminal enterprise. And that oh, criminal enterprise is being vied for by two separate criminal organizations. One criminal organization is represented purely by ideological motivations. The other, Mr. Ford's, are, uh, uh, are simply motivated by greed and finances. Okay. Now, Jenny Byrne, who used to be Doug Ford's chief of staff and then became Pierre Poilievre's campaign chairperson, mm -hmm. Where would someone like, like, again, we are speculating. We are, we do not know what. Another fixer, by the way. Pardon me? Another fixer, different level, but a fixer nonetheless. Outstanding at her job. She would be kind of the Warren Kinsella level of fixer, right? Because she, she was inside the PMO. Brilliant, uh, uh, innovative, tireless, and determined. What does it, is she sort of, does she view herself, you think, if you had to speculate as almost like a free agent, because she seems to be, she represents sometimes candidates who just seriously don't like each other. You know, she, she, uh, she like I said, she was the chairperson of Pierre Polyev's leadership campaign. Before that, she was Doug Ford's chief of staff. And if what you're saying is true, it looks like Doug Ford and Pierre Polyev's paths are going to eventually cross each other. Oh yes, indeed. Um, the problem with Mr. Polyev is the Canadian public has gotten a glimpse behind the curtain into what he truly is. And his chickens will come home to roost because he is entirely guilty of every charge that has been leveled against him. When you peel back the onion and you don't have to peel back very deep, you will find insane criminality. You will find 
deals that were struck in back rooms with fanatical religious figures, deals, cash for access. The wheels will fall off, if not from, from the middle of the road voter, from the extreme right. And let's make no bones about it. Those people's sentiments, their, their motivations, their hearts, their desires were used against them strategically as a heat-seeking missile. They were used like cheap whores. And that's not to denigrate them or their beliefs. I believe that we live in a country still where having a difference of opinion doesn't mean we should villainize people. However, I think if you take that group and you weaponize their emotions by tacitly um, um, approving of the more insane aspects of their movement, then you've given them an air of legitimacy. And, and to step away from that, it's not going to happen. They're not going to let them, and nor should they. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because uh, I was thinking, um, you know, I had on my podcast today a man named Matt Letissier, who's a former professional soccer player in England, who is a fierce critic of the way that the UK handled the pandemic. Uh, Dean Blundell recently had Tom Marazzo on his podcast, who is a complete anti-vaxxer, convoy, you know, protester, but really on the far right of things. And I think what both those podcasts represented was an ability to look past differences that we have with each other and be able to have a conversation, even if it's combative at times, with people on the opposite side of the spectrum. Because I fear that we are heading for a state that is as polarized and militantly tribalism, the tribalist, as the United States. Absolutely. Is that because we've been importing their political strategies up in Canada, or is this just something like par for the course? And it's always and it always has been up here. Well, we we're, we're not importing it. It has been it has been smuggled into our country, and and that uh, criminal cartel has uh, um, uh, they are now uh, they are importing the drug uh, into our country. The the middle of the road um, reasonableness of Canadians, which has historically been our our hallmark on a political scale, it, it's disappeared. And that's because our politics are completely driven by foreign actors. Um, that's just a fact. Anyone who disputes that um, is probably on the payroll. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is if, if, if you take a look at the organizations which have been proven proven 100% the trail is there it has been reported upon the organizations that are are US based organizations that give themselves pseudo names like uh, Canada Proud or, or, or other organizations such as that which are foreign funded groups the the convoy a great idea for Canadians to to express themselves. I mean, every Canadian has the right to express themselves. That movement was stolen. And now you see the founders of the movements being left behind trying to get bail or, or, or talking to their lawyers and starting GoFundMes. The criminals, they left the scene. They're safely behind the curtain. The damage, the real human damage is, is uh, well, they're in our newspapers today. Mm -hmm. So when Doug Ford... Uh, is reportedly to have said that he didn't want to waste his time dealing with uh, any sort of provincial levers that he could have pulled to sort of help the situation in Ottawa. That was a political strategy. 
Absolutely. in your mind? Absolutely, 100%. Don't get any on you. Okay. Let you know, deal with it. He's the prime minister. Right. Is that going to work? And, and, and is it going to work um, largely because the media doesn't seem to be talking about it at all? It'll work because in many ways, Justin Trudeau has aided and abetted the, uh, the reign of Doug Ford by playing nicely on many levels. It's, it's like your neighbor, you uh, invite him over for a beer, uh, you, uh, you know, you have him over for a barbecue, but he has a lot of annoying habits and he does a lot of stupid shit, like setting the leaves on fire in the back and, you know, your fence might catch fire. But until you take a stand and say, Hey, you can't fuck around in the yard anymore. You can't be doing this and that and still come over and engage in nice grown up activities. Um, the behavior will continue. And unfortunately, this is what you see when uh, government has run out of ideas, when government has run out of moral high ground. Um, the problem is people say the media is all for Trudeau or they're all for the conservatives. The problem is the sitting government today is handing out subsidies hand over fist to keep archaic, um, out of date media, uh, legacy media in business. They give them money, so they use the carrot. But legacy media, seeing how unpopular that decision is, um, is hedging their bets because the other side is promising them even more. We'll give you more money, more access when we win. So without the hammer, which regulation of content, meaning all content online, um, uh, print, Without that regulation, you've got a situation where you have outlaws, meaning the media, um, that play both sides of the street. And there is no way to have partisan politics end until total regulation has been instituted. And again, that goes against every democratic principle. So there's the rub. Yeah. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Um, just to give you an idea sometimes of what... Um reporting on these types of stories with the, like the brethren and with politics and all, sometimes they produce rumors amber i don't know who you are you're a chauffeur driver and apparently you're a sex worker but whoever that was boasting to you about richard marsh consuming copious amounts of hallucinogens with james and some other guys the only thing true in that statement is copious amounts of hallucinogens and james everything else yeah, I, I don't believe that Mr. Marsh engages in the use of cannabis. I mean, 
For, no, not for cannabis. Reason, they're talking about shrooms. She's talking about some shrooms. people seem to think I've never used mushrooms in my life. I I started uh, smoking cannabis when I was going through chemotherapy, and I found it gave me a great deal of relief. I I, I don't drink alcohol, uh, um, and uh, last time I looked, uh, um, uh, cannabis was legal. Yeah, These are the same true. people who think calling someone a homosexual is a smear job. Or my God, they they they're gay. See, this is the type of archaic thinking. She's talking about is, shrooms. She's not talking about weed. She's talking about mushrooms. No, no, no. I mean, just this is the other side in general. It's it's the 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 problem is when people on on both sides of the aisle start throwing up um, uh, personal insults or attack to try to undermine the message. The message is what's important. The person. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not really important. Is the message true? And when we start concentrating on the message instead of the messenger, then we'll make some headway. I mean, it'll put guys like me out of business, but that's how you 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 have a true and open democracy. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know who that person is in the chat, and I think it's it's kind of funny. Now, that happened to Julian Assange, right? That's the easiest example. Right when he when WikiLeaks came out and he was doing his reporting, although sometimes he was a little dangerous in the way that he did released documents, it all became about him. And I'm sure a political fixer was behind the rape accusations out of Sweden. Right? Like yeah, because it turns out once you looked under the hood of that case, it was that um I think it had something to do with they they accused him of breaking the condom that he was using or something like that. Yes. Um, but be that as as it may, what do you see your role being now when you start to host the podcast called The Fix, which is going to be coming soon to the Dean Blundell Network? What do you see? What, what is your responsibility there? Because it's more than just a podcast for you, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I believe that it's uh, I believe that what we need to do is we need to give everyone access to the tools to decipher this noise that is splashed across our devices, our screens every day. We need to see the con coming. We need to understand the setups. We need to understand the motivation behind the parties. And, and we really need to be skeptical, not skeptical in a blind partisan way, but we need to look at people say, follow the money. Well, we need to do more than just follow the money. We need to follow the motivation and trace the motivations back to the individuals and the groups that are pushing those ideologies. The devil is always in the detail. And if we can educate Canadians, North Americans, to not only what is happening, but why it's happening, I think we'll all be a step ahead. Okay. Um, now, when we talk about the podcast that you're going to be doing, and we talk about guests and things like that, like you want to make it so that you can talk to people who are also whistleblowers, do you not? Whistleblowers, active figures, people in the background, lawyers. I mean, I'm going to let people say what they have to say. Um, I, I think there's value, um, even if it's a, the opinion is not your own. If, if you don't, uh, if you don't agree, that's uh, that's the starting point. I think that a lot of times, if, simply because we're not willing to listen to the other side's uh, opinion. I think a lot of information is lost and uh, I believe it's, it's, it's going to be an important podcast. I mean, I know the guests that we will bring on will be important guests 
they will be people who are involved in this life, people involved in, in, in Canadian politics, foreign politics, uh, intelligence officers, uh, industrialists, people, uh, people of, of, of that uh, statue who, who have socioeconomic investments in, in political goings on. And I think uh, with this type of information, I think we can all make more informed decisions where we cast our votes. I think some of the stories that you have are funny. Let's talk about a couple of them because um, give me the, the, the Vinnie Paz story, the, the Vinnie Pazienza story. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Vinnie Pazienza, a uh, good friend of mine. Um, he's a, just so good, just in case people don't know, um, he's, he's a former uh, boxing champion. What is he, a welterweight? Uh, he started out, he was a lightweight, moved all the way up to super middleweight. He's a five-time world champion. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, famously, he was in a bad car wreck in 1991 and broke his neck. He was in a halo. They told him he'd never walk again and certainly never fight again. And uh, He came back to be a champion again on multiple occasions. They made a movie with Miles Teller about his life called Bleed for This. Martin Scorsese was a great film. And so you, uh, and this is in the, some of this is in the Klondike Papers. But who tried to hire him to go and do what? Uh, yes, um, Brad Mitchell, as a sideline while I was looking for Mr. Marsh, uh, Brad Mitchell is the owner of Condike Lubricants, or at least he was. Um, he's, also, uh, uh, he's also the brethren who is considered like basically the mafia capo of Canada, basically. Yeah, there you like go. He, he's that, the number one Brad ranked Mitchell. brethren in the country, right? That Brad Mitchell, he was having some trouble getting some product. He had uh, ordered uh, sterile gloves uh, during the height of the COVID pandemic that he was going to mark up uh, astronomically and, and sell to uh, sell to governments uh, through contracts, um, allegedly. But he was having trouble collecting uh, the product or his money, which he had paid in advance, trusting soul. Um, so he asked if I might be able to help him I suggested uh, uh, perhaps we could send somebody to Texas. Uh, he also had other locations, Florida, New York, uh, certain places. Uh, I spoke with Vinny, who's a friend of mine, who has a, uh, a, another uh, close friend. His name is Chuck Zito. Um, if you do a Google search, you'll probably come up with a lot of hits on Mr. Zito, who was a motorcycle enthusiast in the past. Um, we put the parties together. And uh, Mr. Zito and Mr. Pazienza uh, were uh, quite quick to uh, tell Mr. Mitchell what an insane idea it was to try to hire uh, goons and thugs to uh, um, co-collect his money or his uh, his goods. And Mr. Mitchell, as a, uh, a good God-fearing man, uh, promptly offered them more money. Um, if they would go and, and cause violence and mayhem to get his product or his money back. And they basically told him to go fuck himself, right? Yeah. They told him they're not criminals, sir. They've, uh, they've, uh, they, they suggested that he hired a debt collection agency, probably yeah. or a lawyer. <laughs> I really think oh. you should go through the proper channels said yes. Chuck Zito. Yes. <laughs> So funny. By the way, Chuck Zito, I just looked because uh, I, I I do remember him from Sons of Anarchy. I didn't realize that he was also in he was the bouncer in Carlito's way. Yes. He was in The Rock. He was in True Lies. He was in Homefront. Um, like he's been in a ton of stuff. Entertaining then, guy when you talk. I mean, he's just uh, he's a he's a 
he's a very charismatic, uh, entertaining guy to speak to. Nice guy. Okay. So you are the subject of a documentary, an upcoming documentary by Canada Land's Jesse Brown, whom I did invite to come on the show. And he has not answered my text, um, but that was that's fine. Um, Jesse Brown decided to do a documentary on you when you were still living in Alberta. I believe he flew there to interview you. He did indeed. He's calling the documentary Rat Fucker, which I think is an interesting name because it could mean one of three things uh, or all of three things. I, you know, whatever his uh, whatever his intent was there. What do you know about what the documentary's focus is and how do you feel about the title? <laughs> I'm just curious. Well, to be quite honest, I'm the one who brought it up in the interview and <laughs> used it when he asked me what I do. Um, no, I mean, Jesse, uh, I'm sure it'll be a uh, uh, sensationalistic uh, uh, series. Um, Jesse asked some hard-hitting questions and, and had a lot of research to do. And I understand that during the course of that, he would certainly look for and, and, and uh, would have been irresponsible had he not comment from the individuals named. I know that some of the individuals uh, had the, uh, um, well, the misfortune of, of putting comments on the record, which is great. Um, it's always good when they walk in it themselves. Um, but it, it's going to be a mixed bag. I'm sure he's going to uh, highlight what is demonstrably provable and, and bring into question and muddy the waters on that that is not, which is his job. It's disruptive media and it's a, it's a story that's open to a lot of interpretations. And uh, I believe he's going to do a good job. I believe it'll be produced well, whichever way the chips fall. And uh, he's got a hell of an interesting podcast uh, uh, coming up on this series from what I'm told. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but again, no matter which way it cuts, I'm sure that it'll be compelling and, and extremely well produced. Is it just audio? It was just audio. I mean, I do have to say that uh, Jesse accompanied me to the offices of Miller Thompson to get comment from Mr. Chapur. And, um, That's the best. was uh, very polite, took pictures while we were there, um, and um, Mr. Chapur was unavailable for comment. Do you think Jesse Brown has the makings of someone that could have been a political fixer? I don't know why I'm asking that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Uh, why? Jesse is uh, well. He's uh, obviously no matter which way of the uh, side of the spectrum you may fall, love or hate. There's no denying he's a brilliant human being, a brilliant guy, um, uh, deep guy, quick on his feet, hell of a thinker. Um, can pull stuff out of thin air. I mean, he's got all the qualifications and skills a fixer would need. <laughs> Including that one tool you spoke of earlier? I'm just kidding. Absolutely. There you go. No, he's, uh, look, I, I give him plenty of credit for having guts to tackle issues that a lot of journalists simply won't touch. Much like look, yourself. Jesse Brown and I have butt heads in the past. Um, uh, when I was younger, you know, and a freelancer, um, you know, there was a couple of things that I thought he did that he shouldn't have done. I'm certain there's a few things that he thought I shouldn't have done. We're probably both right about each other or were at the time. But, you know, as I get older, I'm, I'm less interested in being combative with people like Jesse Brown. I butt heads like you in the past with Warren Kinsella. I'm not interested in feuding with Warren Kinsella. You know, um, he did tell me that. No, he was I'd love to write my book. He's uh... Hey. What do you 
I thought I was writing a book. Well, you're writing a book already on the Plymouth Brethren, my friend. What do you feel about the reporting that we've done uh, with the Plymouth Brethren? Because uh, I, I haven't been able to see much. It's groundbreaking stuff. It's a hot potato that nobody wanted to touch. I mean, you still see the reluctance of mainstream media. And, and let's make no bones about it. You broke the ground here. You've you've done the groundwork. You've done the, I mean, you, you built the house. Let's put it that way. You, you've covered this from every possible angle and brought in such compelling voices. You've got a new podcast on the Blundell Network that that uh, covers some, let's be honest, some horrifying, horrifying things. But uh, mm -hmm. in airing those things, I think you're going to find a lot of people uh, finding a lot of redemption and healing. And I think it's very important work. And, and I think that what you're doing will eventually help bring this criminal organization to, to, to account. Um, I'm not attacking the religion. And that's very important for the people inside the Plymouth Brethren who are believers, who are trying to live by their principles and their morals. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's laudable and commendable. Unfortunately, uh, it's kind of a microcosm of our political scene. Your leadership has grown corrupt, greedy, and, and omnipresent in your lives. And it's time that you separate church from state, because make no mistake about it, Bruce Hales and the Plymouth Brethren leadership, such as Brad Mitchell, Rodney Diplock, and the dark lawyers, such as Mr. Chapur, represent them, are a mafia and a criminal enterprise. And they run on human misery and profiteering. And they need to be stamped out like the cockroaches they are. So far, we have uh, here on Blackballed talked uh, about the abuse that some people allegedly suffered. And I'm using the word allegedly because I have to, not because I want to. Um, alleged, allegedly suffered at the hands of the elders from this church. And I am now pivoting into the money. I have uh, someone sent me the database of every single cult owned company in North America. And I'm going to be spending a stupid amount of time over the next couple of weeks, cross referencing every single one of those companies with say builders in Ontario, let's say builders that um, that have uh, bought plots of land beside the new highway being built, because these are like these companies that they own. They're not builders, they're, but they're tier two. So builders would hire them to come in and build kitchens or to do things like that or to, to put the roofs on the houses or something like that. Right. Like the, they are t the tier two guys. But I just I'm just dying to see what the reaction is going to be when I start going after the money, because even by going after the reputation of individuals inside the brethren and trying to connect them to politics every single day, like I used to never get um, text message phishing attempts ever. And now I get my, my text messages every single day. I get these random text messages from random area codes. And the, the messages are things like, it's Helen. And my message back to is like, fuck you, Helen. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know who you are, but I'm pretty sure you have nefarious purposes with why you're texting me. And the, the, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that because I'm going after the money now and I'm really going after it, I, I, I have the list of the companies. I'm basically going to be a telemarketer over the next couple of weeks. I'm calling every single company 
I'm going to talk to them and I'm going to start asking them questions. And they're going to like in the middle of the conversation, be like, what the fuck is going on here? And I'm going to see if I can, um, you know, rattle a couple cages, but also that cross-referencing because the billions of dollars that cult owned companies have made during the pandemic. And the fact that the governments either don't know or don't care about their views on gay people about their views on women and their place, literally, is astonishing to me. I, I, I don't see Scientology being welcomed with open arms at the political table in the United States, you know, I, because they're a cult, right? Um, I'm trying to... Now, what would you advise... Like, if I were to hire you as my political fixer, I know you're not in the game anymore, what would you be doing in order to try to lift the curtain on this kind of stuff? Well, I would, uh, the key is, is, is you mentioned it. I mean, you would get special interest groups involved. You would take the fact that this group is extremely homophobic and you would say, okay, I've got some tools to work with. So I would make that fact abundantly clear to the most influential LGBT uh, Q plus groups I could find. I would point out the criminal criminal sole sourcing contracts. I would point out their relationships to certain politicians and I would set it up and give everyone the weapons they need and watch them go and then let the outraged mob tear them apart. These are 21st century tools that are at our disposal and they should be used and they should be used repeatedly. Okay. Just a hint yeah. to any groups out there who may be listening about a particular alleged cult who, well, quite honestly, wants you dead. They don't want you to have access to life-saving medications for, for uh, uh, things such as AIDS, uh, HIV, which you can live a perfectly normal and productive life with. They don't want you to have access to that medication. They want you dead. Um, this church, if you're a woman, they don't want you to be able to choose what you do with your own body. They don't want you to be able to choose what you will do with your vote. So anyone who may be uh, um, members of, 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 of any fringe community, you might want to take a close look at groups such as the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, because these are the organizations that want to eradicate you and your groups from the map, from the face of the earth. And that's their goal. And don't think that they miss a minute's sleep, a minute's sleep, okay? The, they're working 24 seven going after you. You should probably do the same, go after yeah. them. It's, it's gonna be a fun road. Um, the summer was weird because I had cars coming to the place that I was staying and just sitting there. Well, you've seen yeah. my stuff. You know what they tried to do to me earlier this week, your IT guy. I mean, they broke into my Facebook. They, uh, yeah. they, uh, I got a text from, from Chatter Mobile. Somebody went and uh, got a phone in my name. Apparently, they had ID, too. Just uh, They're having a great old time. I'm never going to click the link. No. Right? Like, <laughs> if I don't know you, and now you know what's happening to me, even though this has happened here and there before, Every single day, I get a friend request on Facebook from someone who I've known for years and been friends with for years. And it's like, okay, you know, like, 
every single trick you can think of. LinkedIn, my LinkedIn was like crickets until three months ago. And then it's just, and you know, the reason why, and it was actually uh, Cheryl and Richard that told me this, is because the brethren companies are, they like live on LinkedIn. Yes. It's like do. the only social media platform that they're even allowed to be on That's because really- their phones are monitored, their computers are monitored. You know, um, I don't know. I feel like, um, can you, can you go, can you come out of retirement as a fixer and be my fixer <laughs> for the brother? Uh, I think we all, we all need to be our own fixers in a lot of ways. And I mean, yeah. case in point, what's going on on the, on the, on the federal stage. I mean, we have a government which is now playing the appeasement game. It's playing the appeasement game to the NDP. It's playing appeasement to its own base. It's playing appeasement to the, quite honestly, a, a, a base of another party that, that you cannot appease them. Therefore, a government that, that uh, rules by appeasement, they, they fall. Um, we're literally at that Neville Chamberlain moment. This government will fall, and it'll fall under the weight of their own inaction. I, I, I think that until liberals stand up and actually be liberals and, and stop compromising their 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 political principles and until conservatives stand up, uh, real conservatives, and take back their party from uh, people who are not conservatives. These are oligarchs. Um, They control, they control businesses associated uh, with the pandemic, with healthcare, with, with, with technology. Uh, We see it in censorship on platforms like Twitter. Um, We need to, we need to, we need to understand Um, You cannot please everyone. You need to you need to go to war. And if you're a liberal, then live and die by it. If you're a conservative, then live and die by your principles. But don't support a party that doesn't support your ideals. And right now, I don't think that that any of our federal parties are uh, are even meeting the base definition of what they are supposed to be. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Look, the problem I have with Trudeau is that. I don't like virtue signalers just as a general rule. It's identity politics. Yeah. And I don't, and he's not capable of coming off as tough. Like when he tries to act tough, he sounds just sort of like a frat, a frat boy asshole. Like he does. Absolutely. And in his defense, however, he's been left out to drive because the provinces have realized that and they've gone into business for themselves. So that's what we've, uh, that's, that's, that's why you have Danielle Smith as the premier of Alberta. You have uh, you have no slap laws in Alberta, so basically you have no recourse if you if you go to the police because they're an illegitimate police force, and they are. Um, um, they have no real authority because they are illegitimate because they can sort with criminals at the very top who enforce illegal um, uh, and illegitimate uh, law enforcement orders. Um, Danielle Smith is the example of the worst kind. This is a person who's ideology is about as informed as a uh, as a preschooler um, literally as Dean said she starts off every morning with an apology um, she doesn't have skeletons in her closet it's a graveyard um, well they're not even in her closet they're scattered all over the living room they're everywhere you yeah. have uh, and and so think about it you can't go to the police you you can't go to the courts you can be sued into the stone age by by criminals in any other province, Jonathan Dennis is, is already been stripped of his license to practice and is facing criminal prosecution. The fact that he isn't 
with such uh, uh, glaring heaps. He's got everything but the gun in his hand, for God's sakes, at the scene of the crime. It's, it's, it's scary. Um, this needs to end. Uh, it's, this is the type of, 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 of uh, uh, action that leads to the disintegration of a federation. Our, our, our country is falling apart. And fortunately, um, it's going to continue to do so because apathy, apathy and, and hopelessness uh, in our political system is rampant. Nobody tells the truth anymore. You've got to tell the truth and then let the chips fall where they may. And unfortunately, governments now, their main uh, concern is making backdoor deals to keep themselves relevant or in power. Yeah, it's interesting because it's 33% voter turnout in the last election in Ontario. It's a winning strategy. Yeah, Doug Ford must have loved those numbers, you know? Absolutely. Like, it was brilliant. I mean, people call him a buffoon, but I mean, honestly, it's it's the most brilliant strategy that you can think of. What else is he supposed to do? <laughs> He's so lucky. He's so lucky. The dumbest premier in our history has a strategy of not talking. It's just... And it's resonating with Canadians. <laughs> well, yeah, I love it when that dumb guy doesn't say shit. It's amazing. Absolutely. Like, He's kind of like the nicest guy in prison, right? I mean, it's it's great, but uh, what kind of honor is it? Okay, so um, we're we're gonna wrap it up soon. Uh, I I want to know, um, you know, what are what is your long term vision again for the podcast? Just to reiterate a little bit, because I want people to understand what kind of show it's going to be. You're gonna have guests on. I know that, and then. Um, Take us through how you vision. It could change, but um, it's interesting just to converse with you about it. Take us through what you what you would visualize. What's your vision for a typical episode of the Fix? Well, we'll start with the uh, with the uh, the convoy. We'll look at it this way: um, when events fester, because right now we're in a war. Um, there is a subversive, theocratic, fascist movement that has been imported from south of the border, and it's infected the vast majority of the countries in this world. Um, it is moving in. We need to take it seriously. We need to inform John Q. Public, the average Canadian, of what is going on in real time. Um, so instead of reporting after these events, or we want to report before these events, and we want to tell people when events are taking shape in real time and say, this exercise has gone live, and here's why. And then bring in guests who can speak to these uh, issues. So we're in for a really rough ride uh, the next year. I I'm, I'm almost certain of it. And I want to be on the ground every day with issues. And I want Canadians to realize that the con is on, and we're going to wise up average Canadians, average North Americans, to the con while it's taking place. Mm -hmm. David Wallace, political fixer, whistleblower, soon to be host of the podcast The Fix, and soon to be the subject of a documentary that he named called Ratfucker. Thanks for joining us tonight, man. I appreciate Tell it. Tell I'll give you a shout. Bye. That was David Wallace. Um, listen, Amber in the chats, honey, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't normally look at chats, but it was really interesting because... Um, a you're a sex worker who, which is fine. I support sex work, um, not financially, but I support it. Uh, and one of your clients told you to tune in because um, because poor Richard Marsh, the dude can't buy a break. 
first he gets stalked from one continent to another. And now, now, uh, now a sex worker named Amber is, is spreading rumors that he did illicit uh, hallucinogens with James, and he did not. Um, but that's okay. Um, I invited you to, to, to click the link. You're watching the video. You asked if it was video. <laughs> the answer is yes. It's funny. Um, normally, the chat's a little bit more normal than that. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, maybe we'll have you on next time, Amber. That's fine. But David Wallace, that, that was... Uh, I'm looking forward to this podcast, The Fix. I'm actually the producer, so I guess I kind of have to say that. But um, no, no, I really am, though. Every time I see something with David Wallace in it, it's an article that goes viral. Um, I've never seen a political fixer blow the whistle on his own work. He's just a compelling guy. And every time I have him on, um, it's a it's a highly watched podcast, so... Uh, I hope you guys uh, will tune into The Fix. I think it's going to be a dope show. It's probably going to premiere, I would say at this point, first week in November, something like that. So I hope you guys enjoy that. Tomorrow, and this is going to be one of my favorite, I know it's going to be one of my favorite conversations. I don't know if you guys noticed, but um, even though I enjoy interviewing men, all my best interviews are with women. I don't know why that is, but I had an interview with Major One yesterday that I just, I love so much. And she actually posted on Instagram that it was like one of her favorite interviews because it was more like a conversation. I interviewed M. Griner recently, and she actually emailed me and said it was the favorite podcast she ever did. I'm not tooting my own horn, but I think that there is a chemistry that I have with women because my goal in this podcast after I left the Dean Blundell show was to be less controversial, less angry and emotional. And I my my goal in every podcast is to just be friendly and to just converse with somebody and to try to be as respectful as possible. And for some reason, I think that just resonates better with women. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to speaking with Sherry DeNovo tomorrow, the former NDP MPP for Parkdale in Ontario, who is a reverend and um, officiated the first legalized gay wedding in Canada and once sold uh, for a time in her life when she was really young, LSD out of a Bible. I'm not sure how the conversation is actually going to get past psychedelics, <laughs> but I'm sure I'm, I'm certain that, uh, that Sherry will try many times to pivot and I'll just be going back going, okay, but when you're on the street, did you like open up and start saying a verse and just hand the guy the thing? Like, how did that work? I can't wait to find all that out. Um, what I'm really interested, all kidding aside, is the biography of Sherry DeNovo and how she went from selling LSD out of a Bible to becoming a woman of the cloth um, and an actual ordained minister, whatever it is that, that um, I don't know how it works in different religions. I think she's a United Church priest. Um, but nonetheless, I, I think, uh, I, what a fascinating story. Um, you know, that, that trajectory in life and what it taught her. I know she lived on the streets, I think she said for a while. So she's street smart. She's street smart. She's book smart. I think she's got a doctorate. She's written books. I can't wait to talk to her. Um, and so that is tomorrow on Blackballed. Um, Amber, if you want to reach me, my uh, email address is james.defiori at gmail.com. Would love to talk to you because apparently you have a whole bunch of brethren stories. I'm willing to listen to them. Um, if I'm in UK, maybe I can get a deal on stories. 
Okay. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Black Ball. Black I'm Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.